Welcome to Everyday Sublime, shedding light on yin yoga and meditation. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, as well as a licensed acupuncturist. This podcast, Everyday Sublime, is intended to be an in-depth exploration of the intersections between yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation. In each episode, I want to offer a 10 to 15 minute reflection on one or several of these themes. And my hope is that these reflections will both support your practice and or your teaching of yin yoga and meditation. In this episode, I'll be continuing the introductory series on Chinese medical theory. Here I'll be looking more closely at what the Chinese medical system calls vital substances. And these vital substances, the precious energies and fluids in Chinese medicine. Our health in many ways depends on our organs' ability to produce store, and circulate these vital substances. So in this episode, I'll be taking a closer look at the Chinese conception of blood, looking at blood itself. Okay, so let's get started. Okay, in Chinese medicine, on the spectrum of qi manifestation, that is the spectrum of how qi forms and takes shape in our bodies and gives shape to and in fact gives shape to our bodies. Blood represents a denser, more material form of qi. But it must re- be remembered that blood is nevertheless still a form of qi, that is a form of energy. And as we'll see, the two forms of qi, qi and blood, are in a reciprocal yin and yang relationship to each other, whereby they are intimately dependent on each other for production as well as for circulation. So before looking at the functional roles that blood plays within Chinese medical theory, it's important to consider how the Chinese saw blood being produced, as this will contain important clues for things we will want to make sure are adequate so that we have enough supply of blood circulating in our system. Similar to the production of qi, the production of blood is largely dependent on qi that is extracted from food and fluids, and that is handled by the spleen. I'll be speaking about the organs in subsequent lessons, but for now know that the spleen is really the central organ involved in our digestive process. This qi that is transformed by the spleen is turned into food qi, which is then sent to the lungs, and within the lungs, the lung qi then pushes this pure refined qi to the heart, where it is further transformed and refined into blood. Although this link between spleen producing fuji, which is ultimately sent to the heart to be synthesized as blood, is often described as the primary pathway of blood formation, there's another aspect of blood production worth mentioning. And this parallel pathway relates to the kidneys. In Chinese medicine, the kidney qi affects blood production in two ways. As we'll see when I look more closely at the kidneys themselves, the kidneys store what in Chinese medicine is called essence, that is deep distilled qi. The essence produces what's known as yuan qi, or original qi, which combines with food qi in the heart in the final stage of blood formation, or so Chinese medical theory says. So this original qi combines with the food qi extracted by the spleen in the heart, completing the final stage of blood formation. 
So this is one way that the energy of the kidneys are related to the production of blood in Chinese medicine. But secondly, or a second way, the essence within the kidneys is said to produce the marrow, which not only produces bones in Chinese medical theory, but supports making blood. And this is fascinating in that Chinese medical theory described the kidney-blood production connection, and this preceded the Western understanding of this connection by at least 300 years. I am not a scholar of Chinese medicine in the academic sense, rather I'm a practitioner. But one of the main texts on Chinese medical theory written by the author Giovanni Masciosha, a text that is widely used today in many acupuncture schools, this text cites references from the Qing dynasty, that is late 17th century, describing this kidney-blood formation connection. And in all likelihood, their theory, the Chinese theory on this relationship, goes back several hundred years prior to this citation. But it wasn't until the early 20th century that Western scientists discovered the intimate relationship that the kidneys and bone marrow have with blood production. From a Western perspective, the kidneys monitor blood volume and oxygen levels of the blood. If these drop, the kidneys produce a hormone, erythropoietin, which is transported to bone marrow via the blood to activate the bone marrow to produce more red blood cells. Physician Daniel Keown sums this up in his book, The Spark in the Machine, where he says, Potent and precise erythropoietin is released when the kidneys sense low oxygen in the blood flowing through it. The kidney interprets low oxygen as meaning there aren't enough red blood cells, and thereby releases erythropoietin, which travels in the blood to the bone marrow. Here it causes the production of red blood cells. Without this hormone, you would get very anemic very quickly. End quote. And of course, the production of hormones is dependent on adequate nutrients etc. So from a Chinese medical perspective, this dovetails back to the importance of food qi in the cycle of blood production. In subsequent lessons, I'll be making sequencing suggestions for what you might consider doing in your yoga practice, especially yin yoga, to strengthen, tonify, and produce blood. But for now, simply consider that of primary importance, you'd want to be looking after your spleen and kidneys. Now here, diet and lifestyle factors go a long way towards looking after these organs. But again, I'll return to those topics when I look more closely at the organs themselves. As always in Chinese medicine, it bears repeating that the whole corpus of Chinese medical theory pivots on the functionality of the elements involved. Entities in Chinese medicine are defined primarily by what they do and secondarily by what they actually are. So when looking at blood, it's important to consider the three main functions of blood within the Chinese medical model. First and foremost, blood is a nourishing energy. Blood nourishes and replenishes organs so that they can function properly, especially the qi-producing organs, such as the spleen, lungs, and kidneys. But also, blood nourishes all the tissues of the body, ensuring that they have nutrients required to maintain healthy functionality. And this function of the blood is intimately connected to the second main function of blood, which is the function of moistening tissues. Strong blood, or healthy, adequate supplies of blood, prevents things from drying out. Healthy blood keeps the tissues moist, keeps the eyes from feeling dry, keeps the sinews or tendons lubricated, and moistens the skin, nails, and hair, preventing all of these from becoming dry, cracked, or brittle. Now, in a future lesson, again, I'll link this lubricating energetic function of, Ch of the Chinese concept of blood 
to what I think is the lubricating function of ground substance in the connective tissue. It's when our ground substance or gel component of our connective tissues are hydrated that the joints and sinews feel lubricated and permit an easy glide of movement. In my mind, there's a very similar functional overlap being described here between these two systems. But the third function of blood in Chinese medicine is quite interesting. For the Chinese, blood functions as the material substratum of the mind. In other words, adequate blood anchors and supports the mind. It roots the more ethereal, energetic quality of the mind. And here, once again, we see yet another yin-yang relationship in our bodies, and that is between the yin nature of blood and the more yang nature of our mind, where blood is a denser, more yin energetic that balances and controls the subtler, more rarefied, yang energetic of the mind. Without adequate blood, the mind may not be very grounded, and this could lead to mental emotional disturbances and or unusual behavior. And this will likely make a bit more sense when I look at the symptoms that commonly come up when there is a disharmony of the blood. So just as with qi, there are certain blood disharmonies that are worth looking into. One type of blood disharmony is called blood deficiency. When the blood of the body is deficient, any or many of the following symptoms may appear. These symptoms include paleness, either of the face, lips, or skin, blurred vision, where the blood is not nourishing the eyes to see clearly, or even mental states such as depression, where the blood is affecting the mind. In addition, blood deficiency can show up with fatigue and or numbness, where blood may not be nourishing the muscles, or insomnia even is sometimes seen as a blood deficiency symptom. And this is a case where the mind is restless from not being anchored or grounded by the blood of the heart. And lastly, for women, blood deficiency could show up with scanty periods or just a lack of menstrual cycle. Now, blood deficiency is frequently the result of a weakness in the spleen, whereby the spleen isn't able to create enough food chi to produce blood. And the remedy is often found in one's diet, eating a diet that is rich in greens, and notably the inclusion of animal protein. Now, as politically incorrect as this may sound in yoga cultures, from a Chinese medical perspective, there is no better way to build blood than to include modest amounts, which will vary from person to person. This is always an individual affair, but will include modest amounts of animal protein, especially, and I'm conflicted on this myself, but especially of red meat. I may have just stepped on the third rail for some of you mentioning that, but please remember not everyone's needs are the same. However, clinically, from what I've seen in 12 years of practicing acupuncture, and from the consensus of many of my esteemed acupuncture colleagues, there is no better way to build blood or to tonify one's blood. So if you think you may be blood deficient based on the symptoms I just listed, perhaps a consultation with your acupuncturist is in order. Now another blood disharmony is where there is heat toxicity in the blood. This simply means that some pernicious agent is causing the blood to be quote-unquote hotter than it likes, usually leading to symptoms like red rashes on the skin, where again the blood is not nourishing the skin properly, and or mental disturbances, whereby the heat in the blood literally causes the mind to be disturbed, displaced, or agitated. Common causes of heat toxicity in the blood are either excessively spicy foods for one's constitution, 
or the overconsumption of alcohol, which can cause internal heat, or the buildup of internal heat from chronic qi stagnation that can result from chronic stress. Or it just might be an exceedingly hot day whereby that external heat agitates the blood. Finally, the third major disharmony of blood is more common, and that's stagnation, blood stagnation. This is a kind of deep energetic stagnation, much deeper than simple qi stagnation. For example, qi stagnation can cause dull aches and pains. So when the qi is blocked, there are these dull, achy sensations, not dissimilar to what we feel temporarily when we hang out and marinate in a yin yoga pose. But blood stagnation leads to sharp, stabbing, ice-picky kinds of pains, the very pains that we don't tolerate in yin yoga. Blood stagnation often shows up with a purplish tinge in the complexion or skin, and blood stagnation is often implicated in patterns involving strong abdominal pains or painful menstrual cramps and or endometrial type patterns. So blood stagnation is on a deeper layer, it's more, it's more serious, and it's something that uh, acupuncturists really try to uh, break up, break up that stagnation so that the deeper block can lead to a greater free flow of both blood and qi in the system. But I, please bear in mind, in Chinese medicine, one sign or symptom on its own signifies absolutely nothing. So if you have a symptom from the list that I just read, whether it was from blood stagnation, heat toxicity, or blood deficiency, if you have only one sign or symptom from that list, it does not mean you have a pattern of blood deficiency or pattern of blood stagnation. It would have to be placed, that symptom that you have would have to be placed within a constellation of other signs and symptoms that would corroborate that pattern. So just remember, it's only a constellation of signs and symptoms that together point to a particular pattern of disharmony from which you can start to address that imbalance. So you could only make the case for having blood deficiency or stagnation or qi deficiency or qi stagnation if there were multiple signs or symptoms pointing in that direction. Now, as a side note, a sign in Chinese medicine is usually something that is externally observable from a third party, say the acupuncturist or from a friend, whereas a symptom is something that you'd experience subjectively and internally. Now, finally, in this introductory discussion on Chinese theory of blood, I'd like to mention the special relationship between qi and blood, where again, both are just particular manifestations of the more universal qi circulating in the body. And where qi is yang, and by that I mean qi is quick and activating, and whereby blood is more yin, that is slow and more nourishing, there are two basic aspects to the relationship between qi and blood worth mentioning here. First, qi is sometimes described as the commander of blood. And in this sense, blood is produced by the qi, which enables the organs to digest food properly and to generate blood. Additionally, qi moves the blood. Specifically, liver qi stores and regulates the movement of blood. Heart qi transforms and transports the blood. And spleen qi produces food qi that becomes blood as well as holding blood in the vessels. So in summation, qi helps produce, move, and contain the blood. Hence, qi is said to command, quote-unquote, qi commands the blood. But the second relationship here is that blood nourishes the qi, or blood is said to be the mother of qi. In this sense, 
Qi depends on the nourishing function of the blood. If the organs aren't nourished by blood, they won't be able to function properly and produce Qi to support the healthy physiological functions of the body and mind. So in a real sense, there's a, there's a deep yin and yang relationship between Qi and blood, where blood is a more yin vital substance, Qi is a more yang vital substance. Okay, I'll stop there for now. In the next episode of Everyday Sublime, I'll continue this introductory series on Chinese medical theory with a discussion of the vital substance of essence. And this is the, what the Chinese refer to as Jing. Essence is our deepest, most refined energy and is foundational for all energetic processes in our body and mind. I look forward to sharing that with you, as always, with insights from my practice to yours. If you'd like to follow along with Everyday Sublime, please subscribe in iTunes. There's a show link for you in the show notes. Or you can subscribe directly on my site at joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe. Of course, if you'd like to study or train in yin yoga with me, particularly if you'd like to take a yin yoga teacher training module, whether it's foundations module on anatomy and fascia or a mindfulness module on yin meditation or the Chinese medical module looking at all the things I'm describing in these lessons please check out yinyogaschool.com that's yinyogaschool.com okay thanks so much for listening today and I'll see you in the next episode Thank you.